Welcome to Build Beyond Bricks, the Western Sydney Community Forum podcast. A place to learn, share, connect and explore using analysis and insights to lead and shape the future of communities. Hello and welcome to our platform, which is all about building communities. My name is Anita Hanna from the team at Western Sydney Community Forum, and I am your host for today's conversation. Today is one of our COVID-19 specials, where we speak to a thought leader and start thinking about a vision for the future in Western Sydney post-COVID-19, particularly looking toward a more equitable society for people with vulnerabilities or who experience disadvantage and where we share our ideas, thoughts, tools and experiences so we can support each other in servicing local communities across Greater Western Sydney now and into the future. Our guest today is Jim Ife, Professor of Social Work from Western Sydney University and one of the pioneers who helped shape community work and development in Australia and internationally. Welcome, Jim, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Anita. It's good to be here. Okay, Jim, as we start our interview, I'd like to just read an excerpt from a recent piece by Arundhati Roy, where she says the pandemic is a portal. She says nothing can could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break away with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. So Jim, following COVID and post-recovery, do you think we should return to normality? And business as usual, do you think that will sustain community well-being? Well, firstly, I don't think we can return to business as usual. However much uh, people in governments and, and uh, business leaders and so on might might be uh, suggesting that we can because the, uh, the, the break has been too great, I think, for too many people. Uh, even if all goes well for getting the virus under control and for economic recovery, it's going to take years before the economy would really get back to where it's been. And in any case, we know that the normal that we had before COVID was unstable and unsustainable. There were all kinds of signs that we were uh, living in unsustainable world in an unsustainable economy. And so if it wasn't the um, COVID-19 virus was going to be something else that pricked this bubble of complacency that we had. So I don't think we're, we're going back to normality. There are certainly going to be a lot of people who try to push us back to what we had before. And I think it's natural for many people to say, oh, look, I do want what we had before. I'd like to be able to go and see friends again. I'd like to be able to hug people and shake hands with people. And I'd like to be able to go and have a coffee at a cafe and I'd like to be able to go out with friends. That, that's a natural thing. We, we probably all oh, think yeah. that to some extent. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we can possibly expect to have a, a, a back to normal. So it's much more appropriate, I think, for us to think of what sort of world do we want to transition to, what sort of uh, 
other world is there possible through Arundhati Roy's portal? What shift have you seen in community values and expectations or even public policy since COVID-19? Well, it's, it's very interesting that we've had in terms of public policy, we've had uh, governments who have been so intent on being anti-government and cutting government expenditure and cutting the public uh, sphere in every way possible, suddenly spending massive amounts of money. Uh, and uh, there's been a, a real rethinking about the role of uh, the public sector and the role of government in maintaining a strong public sector. And what we've seen is that the, the places with the weakest governments and the strongest sort of neoliberal small government ideas are the ones that have had the most difficulty dealing with, with the coronavirus and thinking particularly of the USA and the UK, where ideology has really got in the way of an appropriate public health response. So I think we're seeing a lot of, of rethinking like that. And, and it's, it's very confusing at the moment, I think, for lots of people. Really, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows the outcome of this. Nobody knows what sort of society we're going to, to move to. Lots of people are, are pontificating. There's lots of people with, with great ideas or lots of people with silly ideas. There are lots of people who are trying to predict, but realistically we don't know. Uh, and that, I think, is probably the most important part of it because it means we have to live with uncertainty. We have to accept the uncertainty of life. Now, human life has always been uncertain. We've always had the possibility of, you know, things happening to us that we hadn't anticipated. And those happen in people's lives at an individual level. But what we're now seeing is that's happening at a, uh, a societal level. We don't know where we're going. We've been thrown this curveball of uncertainty and it's how we live with uncertainty that becomes the challenge. Whereas we've tried to kid ourselves that we can live with certainty. We've liked the idea of certainty, of knowing where we're going. Liked Our managers have all liked to have lots of plans and strategic plans and all those sorts of things. Now, most of those plans have now been thrown out the window because of COVID-19, which shows us how useless that sort of thinking is in the kind of world that we're now uh, inhabiting. We have to be much more comfortable with not knowing, much more comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, and I think once we take that view, we can start to be a bit more creative and a bit more imaginative and less bound by the parameters of the way we used to think. But hopefully there'll be people like you that are here to answer my next question, which is about in thinking about a more just and equitable society, what are the key elements in your vision for the community in greater Western Sydney and beyond? We have to maintain our very strong commitment to diversity. Diversity not just in terms of cultural background, but diversity in terms of ways of thinking and ways of being and ways of doing and not thinking about multiculturalism as being how can we all get along together in this nice, well-ordered society, but rather accepting society isn't going to be so well-ordered. And what does diversity, just as being comfortable with uncertainty, we also have to be more comfortable with diversity than we have been. I think that's got to be a key, especially in a place like Western Sydney. But we also have to maintain those old social justice values, if you like, that say 
class and race and gender are really important. We still have a patriarchy, we still have misogyny, we still have women being disadvantaged at many points in, in the process. We have a very racist society. Uh, racism is alive and well in Australia and the danger of times of uncertainty, of course, is that racist scapegoating you know, increases and I think we're seeing some of that tragically at the moment. So holding on to those traditional social justice values are really important. Values that say poverty is, is important. We have poverty in this affluent country yeah. Uh, we shouldn't have poverty in this affluent country. It's a scandal that we do. And so, you know, we have to maintain our strong commitment to those sorts of, of traditional social justice values while being able to be flexible about working out what that means in this very changing and new context that we're, we're, we're entering now. It's, it's a challenge for all of us because I don't think we can any longer have those... Uh, kind of textbooks that tell us what a just society looks like. Rather, we have to be working out what that means in the place we're at, in the context we're in, in the culture that we're in, uh, and finding local solutions to those things. Because I think one of the things that COVID-19 has really shown us is that is the weaknesses in globalisation, the weaknesses in trying to one run one globalised system. We've had those, uh, you know, we, we can no longer have the, the, the long supply chains delivering us all the things that we need on time when we want them. Those things don't happen anymore. We've got, we get, we're going to be forced into more localisation, uh, into thinking about how we can make local communities more genuinely sustainable. So all those sorts of challenges, I think, are they were there before COVID-19, but COVID-19 has really sharpened them and brought them into focus and made us face them. And, I mean, you're not the only person I've heard talking about a return to the local and looking at local solutions. I think that's absolutely important. Most certainly we've seen an increase in racism in certain sectors and um, so I'm really pleased that you said a multicultural community is critical for Western Sydney and a valuing of diversity. So I think you've answered my next question, which was about what are some of the things you would like to hold on to or take forward post-COVID. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Well, I, I guess when you think about it, as, as I was reading somebody saying, COVID has brought out both the best and the worst in us. It has brought out those amazing networks of mutual aid that have developed around the world of people helping each other at the local level, of the people who have been providing food for other people, people who have been dropping in to see if people are okay. It's brought out the best in us, as crises often do, but it's also brought out the worst in us when we see the racism, when we see the scapegoating, when we see the, the hoarding of, of supplies and way people were massively buying up toilet paper as if it was only them that mattered. I hope we can carry forward the good things that have emerged from, from COVID, but recognise that not all the response has been positive and that uh, we need to be uh, emphasising the importance of the collective, the importance of our, our relationships to each other and our commitments to each other, rather than saying it's all about me and what I can get for me and my family and that's it. And I certainly would like to 
to see some of the compassion, you know, with, that I've seen in the mutual aid groups um, locally. But I'd love to see the compassion continue on and hopefully it'll just get stronger and stronger. Mm. But, you know, as social workers and community workers, we obviously have a role. Um, how could our sector or how could we work together to contribute to a more just and equitable society? What could we do as a sector? What actions could we take? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it has to be emphasising the importance of community and of the local and not getting sucked into spending or putting all our energy into individualised services for individual people and families. You know, those are important. Uh, people have needs, we can help them to meet them. But it's so easy for those em individual emergencies to take over and detract from the commitment to a more community-based collective society. So I think we've really got to watch that. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in terms of the, the way in which for the last 30 years under neoliberalism, things have been privatised and everything possible has been privatised and we've had market-based everything and the private sector and, and entrepreneurial stuff and, and so on and so on. COVID's really shown how inadequate that is. Uh, and again, as I said before, the, the societies that have been more privatised haven't dealt with COVID as well as the societies that have had a, a, a collective tradition. Australia here has been quite remarkable. But I, I think sort of understanding the, the significance of, of the, the way in which people have responded to COVID it's, it's been a contradictory thing because the, the people who are isolating, self-isolating, living at home, cutting off a lot of social contact with others are doing so precisely because they recognise the need to do that out of their commitment to other people. So we're cutting ourselves off from others because we care about others. Uh, so that's a, a kind of contradiction. On the other hand, the people who are saying we've got to get out there, it's our right to get out there and go to the football and all those things, are the ones who are wanting to do it for their selfish reasons rather than for uh, collective responsibility reasons. So we've got that, that interesting contradiction and we've found that, that people are act have actually been very good so far about self-isolating. What really worries a lot of people now I know at this stage is the the risk of a second wave that once they start lifting restrictions uh, will infections rise to such a level where restrictions will have to be reimposed and I can't see people being as ready to accept the impositions a second time so uh, that's going to be a really difficult one for us to to, to think through but trying to emphasise, as I said, our, our commitments to each other, the fact that our rights require responsibilities and we have duties as well as rights, we have duties to each other, and to, to make sure that our work is always done within that community-building context, I guess, is, is what I'd, I'd say to that. You're right. C collective and the commitment to one another has been just amazing it's been really inspiring actually and if we can continue that through um what a different society it would be and and it's interesting that that some of the cultural communities have taken advantage of that opportunity to 
actually show their socially committed and caring nature. You can look at the way the Sikh community has grown, the Islamic community have been very active in uh, providing food and food parcels and things like that for, for, for people who are isolated and have really shown their commitment to a genuinely multicultural community in Australia. And I think that's been, been really uh, inspirational. However, at the government level, it appears that decisions are largely based on the economic narrative. Um, from your perspective, what considerations would need to be taken into account in terms of decision-making at the higher level? First of all, we have to deal with that question of are people here to serve the economy or is the economy here to serve the needs of people? The views of governments too often is that people are here to serve the needs of the economy. We see that particularly with the way someone like President Trump is reacting by saying, we've got to get America moving again. The implication is it doesn't matter how many people die in order to do that. This is, again, I mean, sacrificing people for the benefit of those in power, who are the ones who are making the profits, uh, has a long and not very distinguished tradition. It's why we've fought wars and so on in, in the past. So, in a sense, none of that's new. But asking those questions about what's the economy for, why should we have a strong economy, especially when it's an economy that so massively benefits the wealthy, the wealthy 0.1%, where levels of poverty are much higher than they should be, where despite all the economic growth, real wages for most people have not grown. Those questions have to be asked and clearly asked because we're going to see and we're already seeing what Naomi Klein talks about as disaster capitalism where uh, the forces of, uh, of neoliberal capitalism, the uh, very wealthy power brokers, use this opportunity to impose their, their views and their system on others while we're distracted. We've already seen a number of things put through by the government, which would normally be opposed much more strongly, but they've been able to get away with them because of COVID-19. Uh, environmental uh, regulations have been loosened. Mining applications have been approved. Uh, the, um, the kind of surveillance uh, mechanisms have been increased yet again. We just had, uh, you know, 14-year-olds can now be uh, held in and, and uh, interrogated by police for suspected terrorist reasons. All those sorts of, of things are being snuck into, into the system while we're, we're looking the other way. That's what typically happens with disaster capitalism. Uh, so that's happening, and I think we're going to see the, the powerful trying to reassert their power and, if necessary, with, more, with stronger controls and stronger surveillance than we've had. So I think we're in for some very uh, unstable times and some, some very uh, uncertain times and very troubling times in many ways. Uh, I think we'll look back to the pre-COVID period and say, oh, gosh, we were lucky then, weren't we? Being ready for those things, working out how to respond to them, I think is something we've all got to face um, wherever we are in the community. And most certainly as social workers or community workers, we would have a responsibility to um, work with our communities around that and negotiate sure. things. But 
Yeah, it, there are some concerns, but um, it's not all negative. There have mm -hmm. been a lot of positives that you've highlighted in your talk, but in, in finalising this interview, what's one key suggestion that you'd like to share with others in working towards a more just and equitable future? Uh, I think we've got to look for sources of inspiration. We've got to look to the creative and the arts for ways to ask those questions that other people perhaps haven't been able to, to ask. I think one of the tragedies of the government response to COVID has been the way the arts community has been totally abandoned. Yet as community workers, we know the value of community arts and community cultural development and so on. These are activities that do give people hope and that open up possibilities for people and, and spark the imagination. So as well as all the other sort of struggles that we're going to have to go through, uh, I think I'd want to say let's keep a space for the creative as well. Oh, I would agree with you there. And there's not, never been a, a time where we've needed the arts more than we do now. Um, but, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your insights with oh, us today. Sure. Just let people know, check out the pod notes, podcast notes for how to get in touch with Jim Ive. We're all working within a fog. We've never, never been here before. We're not certain what to do or how to do it. None of us has the answers and we're bumbling along and hoping we're heading in the right direction, particularly in working towards a better future. These are the things we will continue to explore as part of our COVID-19 specials. Thanks to you for joining us and please get in touch with your thoughts and questions anytime. Stay well, speak again soon and goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Build Beyond Bricks by Western Sydney Community Forum, the region's social development council, providing programs, services, analysis and insights. To learn more, visit us at wscf.org.au.